My mother refused to work on the Sabbath as she was given the role to be a street sweeper, and she did not want to sweep the streets until sundown. One day, she continued to refuse to sweep, and the head guard threatened to take the iron wok from their kitchen, heat it up until it was bright red with color, and threw it across the room to smash her in the head and ask her, see what your God will do for you. And she was so afraid. She thought, who would take care of my five children? Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Good evening. For those who do not know me, my name is Kelly Lynn, and I currently work for the Praxis Young Adult Ministry as the Ministry Assistant and Pastoral Intern, and um, it is honestly my honor and privilege to be here to share a word with you tonight. I'd like to thank Anita Roberts, um, Joelle, Philip, and all the team for inviting me and opening up this weekend really to the power and the beauty of prayer and ultimately the theme of, here am I, Lord, send me. The power of prayer, it's beautiful. Something that we don't really think about sometimes. But it's most beautiful when we see that our prayers are answered. But what does it look like when we're still in the midst of gray and dark places in our lives? What does it mean when we fail that important exam or that class? Or maybe our life trajectory hasn't worked out the way that we planned. Or maybe we don't know how God or prayer has guided you. Like Tavita said in the video, someone had been praying for him every Wednesday for his whole life. Or maybe you're in a season where prayer is desperately needed now to keep you steady and stable each and every day. And honestly, these are all great questions. And these are questions I've personally struggled with in my life. But tonight, I want to share a little bit about my dad's family. They've experienced something very similar to these questions, and it's my honor to uplift and to share some of their stories tonight. I think you'll understand a little bit of my heritage when I share about my dad and his family growing up in the Chinese Cultural Revolution as an Adventist family with an Adventist pastor as their father. As a kid growing up, I knew of these stories, and I would hear of the Lin family, and to be honest, that's originally what kept me grounded in my Adventist faith. Because when you have grandparents and parents and extended families as God-fearing, God-loving giants, it's hard to let that go. My mother, Sonia, found the Adventist faith in her late 20s in Shanghai. She attended my grandfather's church and in the 90s, and that's where she met my dad. My father is Roger, and his father is Pastor David Lin. David Lin was the division secretary for the Chinese Adventist division prior to the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And his whole life story is absolutely incredible, and he's even written a short autobiography, which 
You can find online, just Google Pastor David Lynn Adventist, which I have also done. And I'm very thankful for the internet in many ways, and this is definitely one of them. And it's just so cool to read my grandfather's words and to hear his voice in many of his writings. And when I heard the theme of the prayer conference, Hear My Lord Send Me, I immediately thought of my grandfather as he was imprisoned for 20 years as a Christian. My father, Roger, has four sisters. He's the second child and the only son. And when he was eight, his father, David Lin, was arrested by the Chinese government on an alleged crime of engaging in counter-revolutionary ideas and activities. And in April of 1960, he was sentenced to 15 years of imprisonment and three years of deprivation of political rights. That meant that after 15 years of imprisonment, he had no rights of citizenship and had to continue work as an ex-convict on a state farm. He was sent to labor in a state farm where he pushed wheelbarrows, operated a power winch, and served as an x-ray technician, tractor electrician, and a whole bunch of other things. It was difficult for him to be separated from his five children and wife for 20 years. And I'm sure there were so many things he probably wished he could have done in those 20 years or how he wished and how he could have prevented this from happening. Prior to his arrest, his youngest daughter, Angelina, had just been born. But thankfully, my father and his siblings were able to visit him and he was able to keep the Sabbath and worship God safely throughout those years. My father, his siblings, and my grandmother, Clara, faced a whole different territory outside of that state farm. I asked my aunt, Ruby, who is the fourth child of the five children, to share some of her testimony so that I could share it with you tonight. This is what she says. When the Cultural Revolution started in June 1966, our home was in chaos. You would hear drums down the alley at night where we lived, and we would get really scared and nervous that they would choose to come to our home, which they usually did. They would ransack our house, pull out any item that represented anti-revolutionary, and burn them, which included family heirlooms, books, especially Bibles and other items. So this was the summer of 1966. And in the fall of 1966, on a Friday around 4 or 5 p.m., some Red Guards came to their home. And just a background on Red Guards, they are mass, student-led, typically high school-aged paramilitary who are empowered by the Chinese government to be guards for them, guided by Chairman Mao Zedong. And if you're in high school, can you just raise your hand, just a quick like up and, oh yes, we have the high school corner here. Hello guys. So imagine if you and your classmates are now in charge of the military and the police. Yeah, utter chaos, right? So that day, the Red Guards came and they brought blankets, clothes, and they came to live with Ruby and my Aunt Ruby and my father and their whole family. They drilled questions and interviewed our mother and wanted to know information from her. They wanted to know about their counter-revolutionary ideas on the Sabbath, and they would not allow, allow us to keep the Sabbath. We all had to live on the second floor and sleep on the ground, whereas the Red Guards lived on the third floor in the bedrooms. And during those days that they lived with us, they tortured my mother. I think they did more things, but this is the only thing I saw at home. The Red Guards would not allow my mother to sleep. They would make her stand on really high on a chair 
and forced her to stand there all day. They whipped her hands until they swelled up like pillows, and they forced the kids, which is my father and his siblings, to go to school on Saturdays. My mother refused to work on the Sabbath as she was given the role to be a street sweeper, and she did not want to sweep the streets until sundown. One day, she continued to refuse to sweep, and the head guard threatened to take the iron wok from their kitchen, heat it up until it was bright red with color, and threw it across the room to smash her in the head and ask her, see what your God will do for you. And she was so afraid. She thought, who would take care of my five children? They were ages 9 to 18 at the time. And with that fear, she agreed to sweep the streets on Saturday. And that day, the Red Guards celebrated, cheering, saying, long live Chairman Mao, and moved out, finally allowing my dad's family to be left alone. And that night, everyone at home was silent. My Aunt Ruby felt so sad. She was about 10 years old, and it was a solemn moment, and she thought, we won't be worshiping Sabbath. Will God leave us? What will happen to us? And at that time, my father had a shortwave radio that he had pieced together, and he turned it on, and immediately, they heard something coming clearly out of that radio. It was rare to get any long wave signals or frequency, especially with his old patched-up radio. But this time, they heard a very clearly, clearly a very famous hymnal. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. And everyone at that table was so surprised. It immediately gave courage into their hearts, and my grandmother said, we need to stand up for for Jesus, and my children will stand up for Jesus and their generations, even when I am gone, for God will take care of them, and I will continue to stand up for Jesus if I live or die, and I will keep the Sabbath. That night, she agreed to sweep the streets for two hours after sundown. And since the government was in absolute chaos at the time, the Red Guards had left their home. They were able to live their lives without anyone watching them for some time. I believe that this showed the prayers that continued to water into their lives and that God continued to protect them no matter what their circumstances were. When I was a kid living in Seattle, my grandparents came to visit us, and we brought them to our home church in Bellevue, Washington, and there they met Pastor Malin and Shelley Shirk. And Shelley told us during that time that she was in college at PUC. They held prayer services specifically around the nation for my father and his family because they had heard of what was happening overseas in China. And I believe those prayers and others sustained my dad's family throughout those tumultuous years. But the trials did not stop because after several months, the apartment complex building managers, which we love them, right, caught wind of this and they reported my dad's family as traitors to the government. This time, different red guards came to take my grandmother away one Sabbath morning and beat her until she fainted. They would throw water on her until she would wake up, and then they would continue to beat her. She would come home covered from head to toe in black skin from all the bruising, and my father and his siblings would gingerly add and put ointment on her after each week and treat her wounds. One week later on Sabbath morning, the Red Guards would return and take her again, and this happened for three months. They would publicly humiliate her, shave her head, physically abuse her, and think of the worst ways to torture her 
for being a traitor of the government and for her husband to be arrested for counter-revolutionary activities. I remember visiting my grandmother on Sabbaths here in Loma Linda, and she would share her stories of how she was forced to wear a sandwich board in the hot, humid sun that said, I am a traitor to the government, be whipped by the Red Guards. My Aunt Ruby was so nervous every single Saturday that by Thursday each week, she would start shaking so hard that she would run a fever. There was a neighbor who watched this happen week after week and would try to talk them out of it. She would say, why don't you kids just go to school on Saturday? Your mom is getting beat week after week and she's getting tortured, and for what? This is insane, no one else is doing this. All so you don't have to work until sundown? It makes no sense. And my Aunt Ruby felt uneasiness in her heart for no one around them understood their faith. One Saturday afternoon, they all sat around in silence. Their mother had been taken yet again. And there was nothing to comfort them, so they sat quietly. That day was so humid that Ruby remembered she could barely breathe. There was no electric, uh, electricity for any fan or AC. And so one of the siblings couldn't bear the heat any longer. And they just said, hey, let's pray together. And Ruby said they usually prayed quietly to themselves, but that day they decided, we are going to pray together, the five of them, from eldest to youngest, and they asked for safety and for God's guidance. They sat there a little bit longer and then heard the door knock. How strange, Ruby thought. Usually our mother would come back around 4 or 5 p.m., but today around 2 or 3, they heard the door knock yet again. The Red Guards said that they had come so that you could pick up your mother. They were very confused, wondering what was going on. So that day, they went to pick her up, and she was sitting on a chair with a backrest. That was odd. They usually never let her sit, let alone a chair with a backrest. They also noticed that they didn't beat her as hard as the color of her bruises were much lighter. They saw the leader of the group, and they told the kids, you may take your mother home. We won't be back again, and if you want to wait until the sun goes down to sweep, then you can do it. They were shocked. When they got home, their mother finally shared, they didn't beat me that hard today. They let me sit on a chair in the backrest. They gave me cool water, and they turned on the electric fan for me. It was exactly what I needed that day. She usually wasn't allowed to even lift her head up, but that day she was allowed to look and lift her head and notice it was 1 p.m. Ruby was stunned. She said, Mom, we prayed for you at 1 p.m. And when they calculated the time, they realized that right when the siblings started to pray, their mother was given something to sit on. The Lord had provided, and God knew exactly what her mother, Clara, needed that day. That when they kneeled down to pray, God already knew and answered their prayers. And after three months of torture, she was finally given the role of sweeping the streets on Saturdays after sundown. They were allowed to keep the Sabbath, and they rejoiced together as a family. This is just one instance of the power of prayer. Throughout the revolution, God continued to save them, especially through such a difficult and perilous time. Sadly, that didn't just stop there. The Cultural Revolution lasted for 10 more years, and that was just the beginning. But maybe another day, I will have more time to share the stories that I grew up listening to. My aunts and my grandmother, when they did share these stories, they would share them over and over again, and yet tears were still brought to their eyes. But every time my aunts will remind me that we have a beautiful and sweet freedom here in America to worship God 
and to keep the Sabbath here. And she will always remind me that God will always listen to prayer. David and Clara Lynn heard the calling and said, here am I, Lord, send me. They were willing to die for the gospel. And my grandfather knew that he was a little weaker than my grandmother, Clara. He was willing to admit that. And there was a law that no one at the work camps would be beaten, and so he was safe from physical harm. He looks back on those difficult years and see where God saved him. For if he was not in those prisons, those 20 years, he wouldn't have survived the Cultural Revolution. And being on that state farm also meant that it was the only time he felt safe enough to share his faith secretly with others. I'm sure there are a lot of stories that lives were changed from his actions, and I know a few of them, which I won't be able to have time to share tonight. But in all those years, he received humane treatment, and at times he'd arranged his work to keep the Sabbath fairly well. He got to baptize my father in a moat, and that was the only place he could continue to share the gospel, even in secrecy. And although many people know of David Lynn, I believe that it was my grandmother, Clara, whose steadfast faith, unwavering love for God spoke volumes to her children. And that has continued to carry on through generations in our family. She raised five children on her own, educated them, and then taught them the fear of the Lord, all while being persecuted for her faith. We read in Isaiah 6, 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who, sh who shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here Isaiah is being called into ministry. And I love the honesty of his calling because just a few verses before in Isaiah 5, Isaiah says, woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And he points out his sinful nature that he can see so clearly and the people that are surrounding him who are so sinful when he came into the presence of the Lord. He's acutely aware of his sin and the darkness in contrast with the light of who God is. And I can only imagine being in the presence of God and recognizing how flawed and sinful I am. The honesty in Isaiah's calling is similar to Moses' commission at the burning bush. Us little human beings, point out our faults, which we believe would keep us away from fulfilling the Lord's calling. And yet, he continues to call us. Honestly, it reminds me of myself. I see myself in Isaiah. I see myself in Moses. And I've shared my testimony at Praxis Night Church, where I've recognized so much of my faults my sinful nature, my flaws throughout the years, and so many times where God has called me, and yet I wanted to use my past to define my present. The call to ministry for me was also an arduous one. I fought with God for years, for months, for weeks, for days. I still continue to fight with him, and I had so many reasons why I did not qualify or want to be a pastor. But God, I don't have a theology degree. I'm ill-equipped, and yet God says, I qualify the unqualified. But God, I used to party a lot, and I've been reckless with your love, and yet he says, but Kelly, perfect love drives out fear. My love for you is perfect and unconditional, no matter your past, your present, or your future. 
But God, I don't have the talent to speak up. But God, I don't think it's cool to be a pastor. It's cool to be a pastor. But God, and I had all of these excuses and reasons, and yet God continues to say, follow me. Then I pick up my Bible and I read about Esther, about Gideon, about Mary and Jonah, and one after the other, you hear protesting and questioning and kicking and running away. And honestly, after reading the Bible, you sort of wonder, like, who doesn't run away from God? Like, that's what we should be doing. That's a natural thing to do, because it's not easy to accept God's call. And honestly, it signifies the consistent human nature and the presence of the divine. Working as an intern pastor here at the Loma Linda University Church and acting on this calling that God has called me into ministry has been the biggest blessing in my life. Many individuals in the Chinese Adventist Church know of my grandfather and his story, and it's an honor to share the same family name as David Lin, as my father, Roger, his only son. And some people may see me now and say, yes, this makes sense. You're the granddaughter of a great Adventist man. This must be passed down generationally. And yet, I never imagined myself to be here in this place today. It's almost easy to assume that when you look at someone, you can say, oh, it's so easy for you to walk the straight and narrow just like your grandfather did. It's actually quite the opposite. I was often overlooked in my family, not because of any malicious reasoning, but often the classic lineage in Chinese culture is that the family name is passed down to the men of the family. I have an older brother, so not only is he older, he is a male. So it was always thought that he would carry on David Lin's legacy. And for me, being a female and second born, I knew I was just off the hook to carry any sort of family responsibility to my name. And I set off on my own journey and destination, only to find myself back here, the church, where God originally has called me to be. Despite my family ties, which should be helping me, despite my unqualified background in education and biology, which should hurt me, despite my past, here am I, Lord, send me. So what does this look for you? What does it mean when you hear, hear my Lord, send me. Maybe you're not ready to die for your faith yet, like my grandparents were, and maybe I'm not either. But maybe for you, it's getting to know scripture. Maybe it's starting to get involved at the church. Maybe for you, it means that you're still teachable to ask God to guide, to open your eyes so that you can join him in his work. Maybe it means to come forward with a sense of humility and to let go in order to let God guide. My prayer is that you will continue to walk with and talk with God. I love what Nicole said last night so eloquently, and I'm paraphrasing, but she said, you're never too old and never too young to be in God's ministry. You're never too good and you're never too bad to do his work. For me, prayer has been a place of comfort in my life. It's personal conversations with the Almighty God, just me and Him. I love what Azrika said earlier, how she finds God and God finds her in the ordinary, in the everyday. For me, prayer means emptying my hands, opening my heart, letting go of expectations, 
and wildly allowing him to lead me where he wants me to go. As someone who loves to plan, someone who loves to know what's next, someone who wants to know the five steps that are next, I have to learn to just let go and let God lead. So what does that mean for you? For David and Clara, it meant to lead in a selfless, God-centered, and faithful way. And I can only imagine how excited they would be for me if they were still alive today to know of this journey of pastoral care. I'd like to show one slide um, just to show you kind of the faces of the Lynn family. Um, I used Microsoft PowerPoint, and it didn't let me do, like, what I wanted. So we're going to... I'll just describe. So bottom right is my, are my grandparents from 1998. Um, my grandfather passed away in 2011, and my grandmother passed away in 2018. They were around 94 and 95 years old. So they had that Loma Linda, you know, market meat, probably. Um, on the top left is my family, and that's my father, Roger. Um, on the middle top is my aunt Angelina and her family. On the top right is Auntie Flora, um, and that is her family. And then, oh, actually, that is not Auntie Flora. I don't remember her English name, actually. It's the Hong Yang Yang, if anyone wants to know. <laughs> um, bottom left is actually Aunt Flora. And then on the bottom middle is my Aunt Ruby. And that was a story that I shared from her life tonight. So this is my family, and it is incredible to see the generations of a loving and God-fearing married couple who has continued to walk the hard and difficult journey of what God has called them to do. And so my challenge for you is to ask yourself, what is God calling me to do tonight? Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.